0: Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service. I'm Kavita Puri with 3 Million, the story of the 3 million people who died in the devastating famine in Bengal, in British India, during World War II. (laughs) In 1998, Kushanava Chowdhury, fresh out of Princeton, went to Calcutta, now Kolkata, to work as a journalist at the Statesman newspaper.
1: When I worked there, it was still the biggest English paper in Calcutta, but it was sort of like Calcutta, slowly declining.
0: This was the city of his ancestors. He'd lived there as a child, and now he walked its streets, getting to know it as an adult. He went back to America at the turn of the millennium but always felt the pull to Kolkata. Years later, he returned.
1: To write a book about the city. And when I was working on the book, these stories of
0: famine would come up. Kush had read academic books, seen the iconic photos and sketches of the famine, and watched famous Indian films about it. But it wasn't his focus back then. Like me, he overlooked it.
1: So I knew about it and didn't know about it. And that had a lot to do with the nature of the people who starved. You know, I didn't know anybody who started the famine. None of my friends, none of my parents' friends, no one, not one person. And yet one in 20 Bengalis died.
0: He wrote the book and it did well, but something kept niggling at him.
1: You know, books have unresolved issues in them. And so uh, this was really the unresolved issue in in the book that I wrote. You know, I think it was the thing that kind of kept, you know, gnawing at me.
0: And then in early 2018, while browsing at his favorite Kolkata bookshop... Picked up a Bengali magazine. Flicking through it, he was gobsmacked. There were interviews from the countryside with actual survivors of the famine alongside photos of them.
1: And I just could not believe that those people were alive. You know, I mean, I just, I could not believe that they were alive. I really wanted them to be dead, to be very honest. They had just come to haunt me, you know, to say, where were you? You know, what were you doing? Why didn't you go and look for these people? You know, that they're still here.
0: I know what Kush means. The survivors from the countryside have been haunting me too. Witnesses to that time are still alive in villages across Bengal. Their experience of the famine has been almost completely ignored. The reasons why help explain why it's not well remembered. For over a year now, I've been in touch with Soylen Sarka. It's his interviews, Kush saw in that Bengali magazine. I, I, I'm so happy to meet you finally.
2: Uh, yes, I, I was very much eager to See you.
0: I know. We, we want to come. We're trying to come. Soylen is 72, but looks far younger. He spent nearly all his life in Kolkata, where he worked as a teacher.
2: My subject was physics.
0: When he was eight, he saw photos taken by his father, who was giving out relief during the famine. He
2: had a photo album, and I saw many pictures of that time, the famine sufferer between, and that interested me. To know the survivors,
0: he'd never forgotten their faces. So a few years ago, he started to look for them. He recorded their testimonies with paper and pen. The first survivor he met was eighty-six-year-old Sri Paticharan Samanta, who we heard from at the start of the series. He left Midnapore for Calcutta when his family could no longer afford rice. I have an obsession. Now the people of Bengal want to. Forget their history.
2: Very dark period here in Bengal. When you want to forget your history, you want to forget everything.
0: Many have died since he heard their stories. Some had been waiting all their life to speak. Soylen remembers one man.
2: When I went to him and asked about the famine, he passed into tears. The old man said then, I am waiting for so much long time. That anyone will come to me and I will tell him the story. And I was very much surprised with this. I, mean, I still can remember his voice. Why you are so late to come to me? How old was this man? Uh, now dead. when I went to him, he was 94 no, or 5. <laughs> his name was Das.
0: I was meant to meet Soyland Sarkar, the memory collector in Kolkata, and travel with him into rural West Bengal. But I never got a visa. It's not easy right now for BBC journalists to travel to India. For 80 years, so little was known of those three million. And now, I can't even get to the very last survivors. I'm gutted I can't go. But Kush, the Bengali-American writer, was more fortunate. He was living in Kolkata when he found that Bengali magazine and he couldn't stop thinking about the people he saw in it.
1: The photographs really haunted me. I felt like they were just looking at me, you know, for a long time.
0: He called Soylen and asked if he could go with him on one of his trips. And he'd never met me and he said, oh, I'm going to the Sundarbans
1: tomorrow, why don't you just come with me? And I was like, "Um, you know, I mean, sight unseen, you know.
0: Famous for its tigers, The Sundarbans is an area in West Bengal in Bangladesh where many people were affected by famine.
1: And so the next day, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm at the railway station. You know, it's cold, it's in January,
0: and, you know, we hit the road. They met for the first time under the departures board, both dressed in woolen hats and scarves. Kush wore trainers, Soylen open-toed sandals. They travelled south out of Kolkata.
1: So right from the get-go, he was very open, which is... Not always the case, you know. He was
2: very open to share what he knew. I was uh, highly happy. He was very fine boy, very fine man.
0: Soon Kush was seeing green fields, passing places he'd never seen. When they got off, they ate roadside snacks, puffed rice with raisins and jaggery. and smoked roll-ups, one after another. Replenished... They made their way to the Komuri River.
2: We have to travel by 330 minutes on the boat.
0: They arrived at Cape Lot, an island. Now Kush came face to face with the people who'd been haunting him. The first person Kush spoke to was Bijoy Krishna Tripathi. He was the oldest man on the island. His voter card said he was 112. He was sitting beneath a covered veranda wearing a brown cap. Around him were four generations of his family.
1: These are the survivors, right? These are the people who, you know, who, who didn't get washed away. They made a life uh, in the jungles, and then they would talk about all the people who didn't make a make a life. The, the people who just vanished, you know, people who just came and then they went away, and you never saw them again.
0: Bijoy Krishna told Kush an extraordinary story of the cyclone, looting, and death of children being sold for rice, and of rebellion against the British. Kush says it was like a portal to another world.
1: It was very powerful to meet these people. And it was very powerful to meet them. I mean, I think the thing that really struck me was that we didn't have to search for them. You know, they weren't hiding. They were all in plain sight, in villages all across West Bengal and Bangladesh, just sitting there as the largest archive in the world, right? I mean, and nobody had bothered to talk to them. I felt tremendous shame.
0: I felt tremendous shame about that. But despite his shame at having overlooked the survivors Kush was welcomed by them
2: He became a part of their family The children called him uncle He became one of the family everywhere
0: After his trip with Soylen Kush returned on his own and spoke to more survivors He says many were speaking about the famine for the first time No one had ever asked them not even their own family. Hearing their stories helped him understand why the famine's victims aren't well-remembered in India. He thinks part of the answer could be guilt.
1: The ways in which people profited, those people didn't want to remember the famine, you know.
0: As we've heard, including from Soylin's testimonies, there were those who bought cheap land. Some merchants bought up rice for profit. Some were so desperate, they sold their children. Others turned the other way. But there's something else about India's remembrance. The collective memory isn't held by those who suffered the most, who were almost never asked to tell their story in their own words.
1: The story is written by the people who it didn't affect. You know, it's, a, it's a curious phenomenon about who tells stories and who constructs reality, right? So the story is not told. So there's a huge lacuna there of what happened.
0: Kush believes the silence has kept the victims of the famine from having a proper reckoning.
1: We have not even begun to talk about questions of justice because we have not even begun to deal with questions of memory. We don't even remember it. So how can we even talk about justice for the people who suffered? So there's a
0: huge
1: conversation that needs to happen.
0: There are reasons why some of that conversation hasn't happened in India and Bangladesh. Famine was just one of many tumultuous events during those years. The 1940s is a kind of decade of death, you can say. Shruti Kapila is Professor of History and Politics at Cambridge University. After World War II, there were devastating communal riots in Kolkata, reported on at the time by Reuters.
2: The worst riots in the history of Calcutta. Trouble flared up in an orgy of looting and stabbing. Fires raged unchecked in many places, while pitched battles continued between Muslims
0: and Hindus. And then a year later the long nationalist struggle finally achieved its aims. In August 1947, the British did quit India, creating two nations, India and Pakistan. There was joy at finally gaining independence, but it was also a bloody and traumatic birth.
2: And all the time, the bloodshed goes on. For the masses, it's the weary trail of the road. Carrying their few possessions, they flee from savagery and butchery that has never been exceeded even in India's stormy history.
3: The the story of the 1940s is like there's very little punctuation to series of mass death events that take place. And that's why I would think that the Bengal famine in a way struggles to find its own place in that narrative.
0: Even so... The memory of the Bengal famine does live on in other ways. Shruti says it still shapes Indian agricultural policy and has affected global development economics, not least because of the work of Amartya Sen, who we heard from earlier in the series, the little boy who gave rice to starving people from a cigarette tin. And the famine is also part of the enduring legacy of colonialism in India.
3: If there is one way to understand empire, it is through the experience of hunger. That's its ultimate legacy and association in India, quite apart from the grand buildings and, you know, the English language and cricket and tea, which everyone likes to talk about. But actually, at the level of experience, memory, association, it is that, yes, this led to
0: India's impoverishment. Because the 1943 famine wasn't the only one. There was a long history of famines during the hundreds of years of Britain's presence in India. estimated tens of millions died. The causes are contested and complex, but it's argued that British policy and inaction contributed.
3: You have massive famines in Bengal in the late 18th century straight away, and all through the 19th century you have famines. So
0: yes, 43 is not the only one. With the British gone, Politicians in newly independent India were determined that things would be different. And this is a
3: pledge, a kind of almost a solemn pledge, most of the Indian nationalist leadership takes that the, the meaning of freedom is going to be a freedom from hunger, you know, which is not to say there's no malnourishment in India or that there is no inequality in India. But these famines in India are a thing of the past.
0: There hasn't been a major famine in India since independence. However, food security remains a huge issue, even though India is now one of the largest economies in the world, overtaking its former colonial ruler. On the Global Hunger Index, India currently ranks 111 out of 125. And in Bangladesh, there was a famine in 1974, where over a million people died. So although the three million victims of the 1943 Bengal famine and the remaining survivors, aren't remembered with a plaque or a memorial in India or Bangladesh, the association of hunger with empire endures. And Shruti says for many, there's one person who embodies that association most powerfully.
3: There is an anti-hero iconic of what was wrong with the British Empire. That is Churchill for you know, popular memory. Churchill is really entirely remembered in terms of this man-made famine, a war famine, for which the brunt of it was paid by the people of Bengal.
0: This is the documentary from the BBC World Service about the three million people who died in the Bengal famine 80 years ago. You've heard of Charlie Chaplin, right? Well, Charlie Chaplin was my grandfather, and there was a time when he was the biggest star in all the world. But something happened, not just to him, but to hundreds of artists in Hollywood. They were forced to leave, forced out. I'm Una Chaplin, and from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service, this is Hollywood Exiles. Search for Hollywood Exiles, wherever you get your podcasts. In India and Bangladesh, conversations about the Bengal famine are complicated But in Britain, there's hardly a conversation. That's not to say that it doesn't still re-emerge in different ways. At the start of all this, I thought that three million Indians, who were British subjects, had all but disappeared from our memory in Britain. I was wrong. The Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 over the murder of George Floyd to statues being pulled down or daubed in graffiti.
4: Yesterday, this was sprayed next to the statue of Winston Churchill.
0: The word racist.
4: People
3: from a variety of backgrounds turned out as self-proclaimed protectors of statues after Winston Churchill's monument was damaged last week.
0: The then Shadow Secretary of State for Justice, David Lammy, spoke on the BBC. Is anyone seriously
1: calling for Winston Churchill's statue to come down? I mean, I hope not. not. But I recognise, of course, there's a debate about what he did in Bengal with the famine. Many great figures in history are also flawed, and we ought to be able to have that debate as
0: well. The attack on his statue wasn't just about Churchill's record on the Bengal famine. But the debate Lammy was referring to was whether Churchill's attitudes to Indians affected his response to the famine. The ghosts of those three million and what happened to them were there. They hadn't gone away.
4: I think the scale of human destruction is such that history will catch up and politics will catch up with the immensity of what happened in Bengal.
0: Historian Janam Mukherjee, who we've heard throughout the series.
4: I think certainly colonial responsibility, the responsibility of Britain in relation to the famine, and particularly the you know role of Winston Churchill, is necessarily going to create a kind of historical amnesia in Britain.
0: Churchill is woven into our national story of heroism for defeating the fascist enemy during the war. It's who we are. Why would we want to remember things differently? But remembering the famine is about much more than one person. It's about us. Are we ready to touch those bits of our history that are too painful to acknowledge? There are signs that maybe we are. There's a new generation of historians breaking ground with their research, and one of Britain's biggest war museums has made space for the famine in an exhibition. So we try and show that the global nature of war from the very beginning. Um, I'm with Vicky Hawkins the former curator of the new galleries of the Second World War at the Imperial War Museum in London. Well, the main reason for these, these new galleries was that we, we've, we've always had a sort of Second World War offering here at the museum, but it's been very much a British and a Eurocentric space, and we wanted to make sure that we put the British experience of war back into a wider global context. So for the first time, these galleries have got a lot of content related to Asia and the Pacific, the war in the Soviet Union. When did you realise that you wanted to include the Bengal famine in that? There wasn't ever any question that the Bengal famine would be included in these new iterations of the galleries. It's an important part of the history and of the war. You know that some visitors might not expect that material in here or or might not know about it actually, in fact. So that was another reason why we wanted to include it in the space. She wanted to make sure that the story of the famine was told from the Bengali perspective. And in a small corner, near to a loud video of wartime air attacks, I find the display... There are pictures of chroniclers of the famine, including writer and artist Chitta Prasad Bhattacharya, who drew the people who suffered and died in the famine and named the victims. My goodness. I mean, to see it like this, it's so detailed. It almost looks like a photograph. It's so clear. And there he is, and I've never seen a photograph of him. And he's looking incredibly dapper with his kind of cigarette in its holder. It's a modest display, but it's a start. 80 years on, narratives are only just emerging, not about decision-makers, but voices previously unheard. And this isn't solely the domain of academics and curators. This is also happening around dinner tables and in family WhatsApp groups. We're living through a moment where urgent questions about our past are being asked in Britain, and particularly amongst the younger generation in the diaspora who didn't hear much about the famine when they were growing up.
5: So my family uh, come from West Bengal, a district of Kolkata, you could say, howrah This is Vilan Chatterjee. And my mum and dad like grew up on opposite sides of the road. And my dad came to the UK as a teenager, and my mum came in her late 20s.
0: And when did you learn about the Bengal famine?
5: I think it only really came up in university. Black Lives Matter was a movement that was quite strong at university. And then when people start thinking of the British context about our history, I think a lot of people start asking questions about what do we know and what do we not know.
0: So he started looking into it.
5: It wasn't in any of those curriculums, I think. It was more an interest on my part and my friends who were interested in running events, having discussions, talking about these kinds of things.
0: When you were learning about the Bengal famine, how did you feel? I think I was
5: surprised that this was such a significant event that I had never really heard about. That was shocking and surprising, but in another way, completely expected just because being an In the UK, I mean, we know that there's so much of our history that we don't often speak about.
0: He put on some events at university, and then he had a feeling, I know well, that time was running out.
5: So I basically decided to make a short film focusing on someone who had either survived or witnessed the famine.
0: It wasn't easy, but he found Zebenessa Kyer in London, who was in her late 80s. He began filming with her and her grandchildren.
3: So you had a good rest? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: too much rest.
5: She's got a really sharp sense of humour. And, yeah, she was very happy to speak and I could just sit there and ask questions and every now and then she would kind of say, oh, you know, these, the memories just come flooding back and she's wanting to say more and more.
2: I remember because
0: it is, it is a very sad time, very bad time. Because uh, people are hungry. She spoke of the Japanese bombings and being evacuated to the countryside, the independence movement, and of people asking for Fan Dao, the starch water of rice. Filan made a short documentary and had a screening.
5: At a cafe in East London, and it kind of sold out within an hour. There were lots of Asians and other people from other diasporas. And Immediately, they kind of said, "Okay, it's crazy we didn't know about this. As South Asians in Britain, it seems like we've all grown up without really understanding our own history. And it's not like this is kind of some minor detail. This is three million deaths. We can't really understand who we are today in this country and our history if we don't know about the famine.
0: There may be few survivors left now, But the strong emotions the famine still evokes haven't gone away.
5: Young people have a lot of reasons to be angry and I think the reason a lot of young people care is because we know this has happened but we don't see any recognition of it, any acknowledgement of it.
0: Whether we like it or not, these things happened. Talking about it may be uncomfortable but after 80 years, maybe we're ready. For both historians Shona Datta and Janam Mukherjee, that effort to recognise what happened, so overdue in Britain, is critical. They see the value of remembering. I'm very interested in how
3: we connect or relate the past to the present. But in approaching the wall of silence, which has been locked down by shame, it's not about blame, it's just about acknowledgement. And in acknowledgement, one moves on.
4: So I do think that justice is a historical enterprise. And I do think that history itself is redemptive. It can be used in non-redemptive ways. It can be used in very sectarian ways. But a clear understanding that an ability to name names and to point out the structures that led to the annihilation of at least 3 million people is to lend those lives that were lost some value, just in the seriousness of... Investigation And to take the Bengal famine as seriously as possible is to also take that loss of life to heart, to understand that these people who are annihilated were human beings and that the silence around that that has existed for so long is a replication of the erasure of their lives by and through starvation that a serious attention to the historical detail is, in that sense, redemptive.
0: Acknowledgement is the act of remembrance, not only of Britain's role, but also of the witnesses, survivors, and victims, like Kashitra Mahan Naik, the first name I found of the three million who died. The generation who lived through the war and the famine are still with us, just They're slipping away before our eyes. I think of Pamela, her expression of horror, as she remembered the vultures and the dead on Calcutta's streets. Amartya, just a boy, holding a cigarette tin with rice, working out how much he could give away. Partha, looking through the iron gates at the emaciated mothers clutching their children. Descendants like Kush and Phelan, wanting to make sense of it all today, the new generation of curators and historians, like Janam, Pshona, Dia and Vicky, looking for those forgotten stories, on the other side of history. And Soylan, a 72-year-old man, doing his best to record the last survivors. You came too late, one of them told Soylan. It may have taken decades, but Soylan wasn't too late he's gathering as many testimonies as he can. And now you heard some of them too. 80 years on, the great men of history who made decisions in Calcutta, Delhi and London are long dead. So too those in India who documented it, the Indian writers, artists and photographers, as well as the editor of the Statesman newspaper, Ian Stevens. Remembrance today doesn't have to be about blame. But if we don't remember the difficult bits of our past alongside the glorious, what does that say about us today? In the middle of the Second World War, in the dying days of empire, British subjects in India died of hunger and disease because of famine. Surely it's time now to remember the three million. Three Million was presented by me, Kavita Puri. Series producer was Anta Dean. The editor, Emma Rippon. Sound design and mix by Eloise Whitmore. The production coordinators were Maria Ogundele and Sabine Sherrick. The original music was by Felix Taylor.